Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Joe, welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. It's good to be here. It is. We're joined by the master in chief, the great man, Jamie Nemsis. Welcome, mate. Thank you. There's there's (laughs) applause from the crowd. It's it's raging. Um, Mate, welcome. We've been hanging for this for a long time, and so we really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm not sure your uh, your listeners have been hanging for it, but uh, (laughs) you two have been in my ear for the last... uh, few months so yeah glad to be here well, let's uh we're going to answer some questions today you come on the right show uh, we're going to answer some questions we're also going to put some hypotheticals to you um because we've been putting them to each other and we really don't know what we're doing so hopefully you can bring some insights to it sure um where you want to start drew I mean, there's some massive earnings results this week. Do we start straight in the earnings results, yeah, or do we? I, I could pose a question to both of you. Though. That was probably the most interesting one. Okay, go. Right in the daily update, the Dow Jones is on its biggest wi- winning streak. Sure. Got to 13 days in a row of wow. positive closes. When was the last time it had a winning streak this long? I'll go 2017. I'll go 2000 and 2009. 1987. Oh wow! Okay. What, was there well, a reason for that or was it just like one of those days? I think it was just one of those days. Was that post the recession? Pre-tech bubble? Wow. But 13 days in a row for you the Dow Jones. 87. Before the biggest stock market crash. Crash in history, yeah. <laughs> Slightly before. <laughs> Did you say post-recession? Or? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, geez. Way to just bring it down around recession. Okay. That's incredible, isn't it? That's uh, what, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. So the Dow hasn't had... You haven't had it since. Hasn't had it since, so... Which is crazy. Mm. And there's a reason why. And you've seen two massive earnings results overnight. Yeah. You, did you keep a close eye on Microsoft? I was actually, yeah, yes, not Microsoft, Alphabet more so. Yeah. But um, more relevant to your yeah, business. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a good insight hack if you just listen to the Alphabet calls and you just tune in for the search moment. If you're a business that operates online, you hear what they're working on. So they say, we're going to focus on YouTube. So what do you do? If you've got an online business, you just go to YouTube and you do exactly what they're trying to prioritize. That's how you game the algorithm. <laughs> I think you just get it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there goes the secret. No, but um, good results. The text, the big tech is going to is just smashing it at the moment. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because we do have a higher or lower for old mate. 
Uh, we do. Yeah. Um, summary. Is that how I'm referred, old mate? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. He's not here. You're only a couple of years older yeah, than me, sure. so yeah. we're post Frank. And I look credits. older than both Owen of you. is pre Frank. Credits. That's <laughs> yeah. how we do, do, right? differentiate. 1985. That's yeah. all about us. Um, no, Drew. Um, good results. Uh, very strong results. We've got a comment that you said before, Jamie, about um, the tail end of the Nasdaq not being as strong as people maybe realise. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk to that when we get to the question, but. Um, any of these cloud businesses, I think it's fair to say, are just eating the cooking of everyone else. They're taking share of traditional uh, IT services businesses. It's a when uh, Amazon was early days with the cloud business, they estimated it was a one trillion dollar a year opportunity, hmm. and it's still tiny. Like the adoption is still tiny. Maybe in large businesses, most of them have gone to the cloud, but a lot of small businesses are still yeah. like flirting or barely on the cloud. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and Microsoft is the beast, if you think about it, because it's got Azure with the cloud, but then it's also got uh, like the suite of office products. It basically owns business. Um, and then it's also got the gaming and the AI side, which is obviously what's driving a lot of people at the moment and investors. It definitely, in ChatGPT, the open AI, I know that's open on your desk for large <laughs> chunks of the day. They actually mentioned that in the uh, earnings update, which talked about the fact that they're getting, they don't, they're not pricing in much of an uptick in earnings or revenue from AI at any time in the next two to three years. Yeah. So analysts like the idea that it, any impact could be a you know, massive jump in what they've predicted so far. Yeah. It's not surprising though. If you start thinking about, and I've got a year 10 boy and he, he he's studying business and he came and he has to present a business idea and he, what what's a good business dad and you start thinking about what we heard around tech in the last five years you know make sure that everyone in the world is a potential client mm. make sure it's scalable without capital make sure you know all these elements uh, that you need to use it in your daily life mm. and everyone was saying that every tech company got an idea for an app that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i got an idea idea but the, the 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 very big tech they own that space like everyone is using microsoft everyone uses google everyone has a facebook site everyone so we, we talk about the fallout around tech, but it's not surprising you have the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Microsoft um, and Google obviously haves. So. Yeah. I'd like the, the railroads of the this century, right? Sure. Yeah. You constantly question that they – like they're constantly questioned how big they are within the benchmark and then how can they possibly stay there, but then they continue to find verticals mm. that, that keep them there. We saw two weeks ago, remember the NASDAQ readjusted? Yeah, yeah, and, it, and they had to cut the, they, cut, the they cut the weightings because, I, I, and it's only happened twice in history. I think we were saying at the time. Yeah, they actually had to. Well, they didn't have to, but they chose to reduce the exposure to the tech stocks. And this is from the Nasdaq, oh, artificially. So it's, so it's not on market cap. Anymore. Yeah, it's like an it's like a market cap minus. Oh, really? Type benchmark. That count as active management. As yeah. active. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone that's just got the, the Nasdaq ETF have sold it. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm only doing index funds. Um, <laughs> shows you, but like we worry about the ASX being 45 percent two sectors. It's no different overseas. Mm. Yeah. So it's always the challenge that we talk about when you're building portfolios with passive only investments mm. that you mm. do get these weightings to individual companies. So why it's important to blend. Here's a question for you. A year from now, so YouTube ad sales, 7.7 billion, right? YouTube at 7.7 billion. In a year from now, will it be higher or will it be lower? 
Well, you're going to use them and Jamie's going to use them, so it's just to be higher. <laughs> sure. I'll go higher. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say higher. But it has been slowing um, the growth. The growth rate has been slowing dramatically. It um, was a bit of a rebound this quarter, but over the last couple of years, it's been slowing since COVID. So they're a bit of a canary for ad spend. Yeah. Generally, yeah. though, aren't they? So yeah. if companies are raining their belts in, you're generally going to see. I mean, we're going to talk about NVIDIA a little bit later, but you forget how these really big tech companies are hard to value because their ability to reinvent themselves is nearly instantaneous. So as soon as you go, oh, mm. Facebook isn't relevant anymore. Why would you have Facebook? They come out with Facebook shorts or whatever yeah. is a new product. Yeah. And they've got teams working on where it's going, what's the innovation. They've got the massive amounts of capital to go, well, that company's interesting. It's now $4 billion market cap, but we think it's going mm. there, so we'll buy them. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, Facebook came out with the Threads thing recently. Threads, yeah. yeah. Is that already? Huh? Is it data already? Yeah, Someone said probably it data already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Elon then changed it to from Twitter to X, um, <laughs> just to make it different. Um, but yeah, that's true, right? And the YouTube was bought, wasn't it? By, yeah, but yeah. it was acquired. Yeah, um, and I mean, so many of those businesses. Like, look at Microsoft; it's buying Activision Blizzard. Yeah, right. So LinkedIn. Yep. Who would have thought that you could do LinkedIn? I remember reading the um, the original statement from. Microsoft on this, and they said they're going to connect LinkedIn the same way you connect with emails. So you could, instead of sending an email, you could just click on their profile in your like Outlook, and you could go send an email to that person there. Mm. Yeah. I don't think they've done that yet, as far as I know. But um, that's like they're just yeah, they're eating the world basically, um, and it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see as someone who invests in these types of businesses. Real quick, um, I think maybe that round of applause should actually apply now, Andrew Derrimuth. Because who's that for? This is Andrew Derrimuth's moment <laughs> in the sun because uh, inflation caught the caught the world Again. by storm. Lower than it's expected. Been lonely out here in, in the contrarian <laughs> position it's, for it's, quite it's a been few lonely months. being right. <laughs> I've got three months left. I think they're cutting the number of meetings. Is that starting this year or yeah, next year? That doesn't help uh, me with the rate cut call. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely. I mean, it's definitely going to be next year. I've already backpedaled for the last six weeks. Okay. But uh, we had inflation. So you don't reckon there's any chance of a rate cut this year? And there's always a chance, but property prices just went up too, which makes it hard to cut rates right now. Interesting. That's is it. I think you need this one. Oh, no, wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my, my call has been it would be a rate cut, but then the Federal Reserve mm. just increased again uh, last week. And that's basically this idea that the impact of interest rates has barely been felt across most of the economy, the economy itself yet, and at some point it will hit. Mm. And I've been... Well, especially in the US, right? So, so yeah. they can raise, they have to raise rates higher than they are in Australia because they don't have such an impact in the US as most people are on fixed 30-year loans. Yeah, we're hitting in the pocket straight away. Imagine that. Imagine if two years ago they offered 30-year loans here in Australia. Fixed. <laughs> yeah. fixed. We can only get more, up to five years fixed. Wow. Yeah, but the, the, the percentage that people that they sell five years fixed is quite minimal. Yeah. They used to have seven and nine, but no one would mm. buy seven and nine. So. Oh, right. Okay. Um, it fell from, what, seven to six, but Jamie was saying off-air. That if you, yeah, I think the quarterly rate was 0.8. So Cause if you, because I'm forward looking, <laughs> not backward. <laughs> if, you, if, if you times 0.8 by four, obviously you get uh, 3.2. We've so. got a name for this annualization too, yeah. don't we? Let There's mention been a lot that. of annualizations over the last six months, <laughs> yeah. but not so much in inflation. It's been more about property prices, yeah. which definitely hasn't worked from the fear mongering. Um, yeah, it's pretty good though, right, Jamie? Like, so it releases a lot of pressure that we're seeing. Yeah, uh, and then. 
you automatically start thinking about interest rates, what potentially. So mm-hmm. if Drew is right and they're going to cut sometime next year, then you'll start seeing that in longer term rates. And from an investor's point of view, you see that in term deposit rates. So mm-hmm. you've, you've seen some really good five-year term deposit rates. You'll start seeing the rate on offer disappear relatively soon, even though that rates mightn't fall until sometime next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in terms of, Drew actually mentioned something not too long ago, Jamie talking about uh, floating rates uh, being- Like preference shares and- Preference yeah. shares, all those types of things. Recently, floating rates being something that folks were flocking to, like advise, some advisors and some groups were talking a lot about. Where, how do you think about that in client portfolios at Waddle right now? Do you think- Probably around the flows as well, that a lot of money was going into them. I think it's really um, important for the audience to know that Drew and I share an office. <laughs> <laughs> so if I said on here, so, Jamie's heard it four times already. Yeah, yeah. Or it was originally my idea and then I hear it on a Saturday morning. Uh, well done, Drew. Uh, <laughs> I say, um, what's, the, what's the word? Is, uh, copying is the best form of flattery. Yeah, yeah it's flattering. That's right. Every, all, good, all content. Jamie doesn't content. even have to appear on the podcast. <laughs> His insights are shared. <laughs> But, but something Drew and I talk about is the flow of money and everyone f- yeah. follows the flow of money. And we know that bonds were poor last year. So everyone's going, oh, we're not going to hold bonds anymore. We're going to hold something else and floating rate notes, whatever vehicle they are. So if they are corporate or real estate or if they're credit, then have been really, really mm. popular because their historical return looks good. So suddenly bonds, historical return looks poor, poor the, the floating rates look good. So you get money being pushed into that sector. Um, <clears throat> and we see that in every asset class, really. Money follows good returns, but that doesn't necessarily build better portfolio. So what would you buy in the future? If you do think rates are going down, the way that you make money out of um, rates going down is hold long bonds. So the the worst performing asset class of last year, you're probably buying more of it at the moment. Yeah. The one thing, another idea I saw from Jamie was Mm -hmm. (laughs) different. Well, everyone talks about this being unprecedented and interest rates rising so quickly and this unparalleled volatile environment, but we keep reminding people that this is normal. Like Mm -hmm. interest rates at three and a half, four percent are normal, you should get money mm. for putting, you should get paid for putting money in the bank. Yeah. Like yeah. 0% was abnormal. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a normalized environment now, yeah. not an abnormal exactly. environment. Exactly. And you have to build portfolios appropriately for that environment. So then in your opinion, so we are closer to a normalized environment right now than we were two years ago? Very sure. much. Yeah. yeah. You don't, there's still a lag on the actual economy, clearly. We don't know the impact of all those interest rate hikes yet, but yeah. normal interest rate policy. Yeah, um, I tell you something that I'm very joyful about when I see joy uh, in the streets. Something that I'm very happy with is uh, house prices up uh, as a homeowner. Um, I mean, it's not great if you're trying to buy a house. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that uh, uh, property Armageddon is probably not uh, around because it looks like in the data here, Sydney house prices up 5.3% in June. That's off a big quarter. That's off a big base as well. 2.7% in Australia. Melbourne, not actually Melbourne. I think Just was the point. worst from yeah. memory. So that's all right. But well below the average. Yeah, but uh, the Australian property is probably not what they expected. Some of them, at least not what they chose to write at some of the outlets, which shall remain nameless. It's still only ten or you know ten twelve percent off the high, isn't it? Like that we got into a late twenty 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 two one. I think it's uh, high single digits from memory. So, um, but but actually, it is an asset class that is 
very hard to see its valuation. So oh, if you think a typical property gets sold every 15 years or something. Mm, so short of that as well, yeah. And then between them, you don't, you can't necessarily determine the value and there will only be one or two buyers. It's not necessarily an efficient market. So if you mm. have a Saturday and everyone's pumped up and there's four buyers, potentially you could get, you know, uh, 20% over mm. what you could in a, a rainy Saturday. So yeah. it's, it's hard to oh, the, Yeah, I agree. The underlying indices are pretty crooked, right? Mm. They're pretty sh- shaky. But um, That's yeah, a challenge of policymaking though, isn't it? Because you have to use that data. Oh, yeah, they get the same stuff that we get, probably worse sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, probably worse. Yeah, like what are they going on? ABS data and it's updated every how often? Yep. At least like the sales data and that can be weekly or even monthly. Anything else, Drew? News of the week? News of the world? I mean, you can stick with this inflation story, which was <clears throat> and the impact of interest rates on the economy where we had Kogan report this week. Share price went up 8%, 10%. Mm-hmm. But sales fell 22%, so Kogan being the discount mm. electronics retailer. Um, they had a massive issue a few years ago, I think we talked about, which was they over-invested in inventory and had a oh, massive yeah. overstocking. They had to cut prices on everything. But you're seeing some pain come into retailers at different parts of the economy at different points, and you're seeing the, the slow impact of interest rate hikes coming through. They definitely overcapitalized, and I bought one of those TVs, and i got to tell you, it's not good. They're not great. <laughs> I bought a whole stereo system and just put it out for hard rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> like ship it out the front. That's <laughs> some. I got to be too negative. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> Someone, uh, but it's going. It's going straight down the man cave. That TV. If it ever it's arrives, not good enough. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't even turn on. Really. So <laughs> <laughs> it's Gogan will now send us some Free updated TVs. versions. <laughs> uh, other news. We've got uh, plenty of news. Um, we'll be filming remotely next week. Yes. Jamie yeah. and I are off to a big investment conference. Yeah, is it sold out? New Zealand? Yeah, sold yeah. out New Zealand. So in Queenstown. Yeah. Uh, two and a half days with a whole heap of uh, institutional wealth management people talking about portfolio construction, top down. Um, yeah, cool. You just did the run through where it highlights of the sessions there? Yeah, should be pretty good. Yeah. Um, lots of different people providing different opinions. So good yeah. to get with peers that you know do the same role that Drew and I do every day and talk about how you position portfolios and yeah. what they're using. Um, New, New Zealand Super's there, so the asset allocation head of asset allocation from New Zealand Super is coming along. So is there a lot of it uh, NZ based advisors as well? Uh, I mean, the, the advice industry in New Zealand is is growing ever since KiwiSaver was introduced about yeah. six or seven years ago, probably yeah. now. Um, so, so there's two levels of advisors over there. There's the insurance and mortgage broker, and then there's kind of this investment um, advisor. So there's a lot less like us over there. Yeah. There's some really good firms. They, they have the same types of issues, right? They're essentially an island in the middle of the sea and yeah. you know, <laughs> what do they do with currency and how do they get exposure and yeah. how do they invest in really good companies and bias, bias to their own economy is, is big. Mm. So there's lots of learnings we can kind of um, take away from New Zealand and, and build relationships mm. with our colleagues over there. So. I think this NZ Super Session might be relevant for this audience too, mm. like the way they manage money, if you've seen that. No. That they operate with a what they call reference portfolio where like 60 to oh. 70% of their assets are benchmarked to index then mm. they use their fee budget, which is something we talk about a lot, yeah. to to find non-correlated or more diversified sources of return. Mm. So that's like a 
uh, basically the core is passive. Yeah, exactly. so they're not paying much for the core. Beat is free. Yeah, beat is free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and another good the, one that Drew came up with. Thirty <laughs> percent. <laughs> there might be a court case after this. Check your contract. <laughs> All IP is IP bottle partners. <laughs> Uh, Reference so, so, portfolios. So yeah. you compare that. So their alt sleeve, which is thirty yeah. percent, would be very much how the future fund invests, right? Yeah. So if future fund doesn't have the core passive; they just essentially invest in alts yeah. for an outcome. Yeah, venture capital, private equity, yeah. super interesting. And then Andrew Clifford from Platinum ah, is joining really? us as well. Yeah. Oh wow! So that's a pretty big event then. Is it the first? That's the first inside network event in New Zealand. First one offshore. Yeah. Yeah. Tasmania. Yeah. I can no. count that as being offshore, but I'm sure you have good. Tasmania. Drew got recognised, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, we bring that up all the time. <laughs> okay, well, we're probably a few minutes in. We're 22 minutes in, Christ, and we haven't even got to questions. Um, anything else before we move to questions, guys? I saw that Unisuper bought a big property portfolio this week. Oh, so, really? you know, you're thinking about property um, and there's lots going on in the commercial and office space yeah. where some big property funds are being squeezed on liquidity. They're getting redemptions. Mm. Of course, anything that any fund that offers liquidity but have fixed assets underneath have got issues. So, there's a few assets that are being sold, kind of fire sold. And mm. um, so, the, the value, there's question marks around valuations of industry and and office commercial property, but Unisuper, which is essentially the ex, the team that was ex um, Colonial First Aid, and the, the investment team, mm. they've always been really good at picking bottoms and you know being quite aggressive with their approach. So they topped up their real estate exposure, I think by one point one billion this wow. this this week. So I thought that was quite a interesting sign. Well, we've we've seen the listed products and the kind of the unlisted really struggle over the past 12 months obviously even since yeah. COVID to be honest oh. um, and for someone to come in like that that maybe doesn't have the same liquidity requirements right now yeah. um, that's a big that's a big deal yeah and so the, the old blood on the streets story not saying is a lot of blood yet but and we talked about it last week the Invesco you know, the, the opp- credit opportunities where essentially you want to be deploying capital in this market rather yep. than being a seller you want to be mm. a buyer and you want to have cash ready Mm. Um, I think it's super interesting. That's across multiple sectors as well. Yeah. Um, okay, I got a question for you. Uh, is property an alternative investment class, like unlisted property? Yes. Mm. I would call it real assets. But yeah. You know, yeah, real assets. And yeah. then if you apply, we, we probably have a, well, I, because we're the same we. <laughs> I. I. I'll just take it too. <laughs> I, I have a view. <laughs> Opportunistic assets are very similar to value assets, and most people are trained to be a value investor. Yeah. So as soon as you put opportunistic in front of it, it feels better. So if it's, you would see, which I think are going to be really interesting, opportunistic property funds in the next 18 months, and that's definitely an alternative asset. So mm. there's a lot of money to be made in alternative kind of opportunistic property. There's a big global fund manager we used to invest in we don't have any money in at the moment called Walton Street and you know that oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah that, that they they do opportunistic property so um, then, so when would you invest it so obviously this market environment is when it sounds interesting but is that something that you hold through the cycle or not really um, so there's a thing um, 
called what's the word I'm vintages vintages do you know what vintages are you stole that from me that's good broadly familiar with it yeah so when you essentially it's 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 nearly like dollar cost averaging but into private markets so if you're going to invest in pe is probably the easiest you don't just want to buy this year's vintage you want to buy an average of the next five years vintages because you'll be a very good vintage in in within that five years and it's very hard to assess which year. Mm. So allocating, to, if you are a stock picker, which I think most of us think we are, mm. then you try to pick the vintages, right? So the vintage in distressed assets happen to be 2008, 2009 when everything was distressed. At the moment, looks like there's lots of good opportunities around. So mm. if you're a stock picker, yeah. Um, by this year, yeah. if you're a prudent long-term investor, buy a little bit over the next five years. Yeah, yeah, if right, you commit the sense. asset class, then you you want to keep allocating to it, and you get liquidity from that over time too. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's what you want at the moment is you want to be a liquidity provider to people who mm. are being forced to sell for one reason or, or another. And if, all all ends of the risk spectrum are going to feel that, I reckon. Even yeah. that, you're in equities. You could argue that in small cap, Aussie small caps, right? Exactly. Yeah. Some of those valuations, some of those stocks are up 70, 80, 90 yeah. percent, yeah. and no one's touching them. Yeah. So, so if you've lost 90 percent on your stock, you can basically double it for 10 percent extra, but no one will put the 10 percent in, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it, a lot of these companies recover and they go, oh, it's been a hard journey. Well, yeah, deploying capital at the exact wrong time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we've got a heap of questions that have come through and I have a confession. Oh, yes, but we've got questions for Jamie, which we'll start with. Sure. But I just want to make a special note um, of two questions. Can you scroll down a second there, Drew? Up. Um, a little bit further to the actual first questions. So I'm just going to... You broke uh, my heart, that one? Yeah, there was a question for... By the way, everyone that submits a question this week gets a free value investor program. <laughs> so just write into us, you get a $500 course for free. Why? Because I made a mistake. <laughs> Because last week I said there's no question, or there's very few questions. But I realized the spreadsheet that we used to collect the questions was broken. Was broken <laughs> because they had to suffer actually, through us talking for 45 <laughs> minutes last week. We've actually had, we, actually, we have actually received over a thousand questions in the last seven months, and the spreadsheet automatically defaulted to a thousand rows. <laughs> And then I was like, there's no more questions. Um, so here he goes. Which one is it going to be? Perfect. I don't know. That kind of works. So there was a question from you broke my heart. I sent a question through. That was from Toby Larone. We will get to that in a minute. And the other the other one was um, I have a thousand questions, um, and that's ironic <laughs> that's because we have over a thousand questions now. Um, but yeah, uh, I've got to make uh, an apology to say you can send your questions in via the link in your podcast player. Uh, select the Australian Investors Podcast. That's why you don't use Google Docs. That's why Google Docs is amazing. No, Jamie. So, <laughs> and long Microsoft short <laughs> alphabet. Okay. Um, oh, that's a good question there. Jamie, are we at the bottom in real estate then? Um, 
You pose this question to yourself. <laughs> I don't know the answer. My other question was going to be, um, will property, I think it's not in here, but uh, will property be higher or lower in a year? But that kind of is pretty obvious. I think you have to separate it though. If you go list, listed property, yeah, I, I feel like you're difference. nearing a bottom in listed property because val- the well, market's value in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But if you go uh, unlisted property, I'd say you've still, if even if it's half the difference <laughs> to listed, mm. still got somewhere to go. So if you gave me a cash fund and said- I'm going to invest in real estate over the next 18 months in a cash fund. I'll give you all my money. If you say I've got an existing portfolio, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really want to know that you have valued that property, the existing yeah. portfolio, fair and reasonably. Yeah. Now, the market is saying there's kind of a 30% discount to NTA with gearing. So it's yeah. not that the market's fallen 30%. It's yeah. just that the underlying asset <clears throat> has fallen. So it just depends on which investment vehicle you're going to deploy. Yeah. I would... Personally, I'd be looking at opportunistic property in the next 12, 12 18 months. Um, mm. Again, it's just what Drew used the words before, blood and street. There's always the best uh, opportunity in blood and street. If you think about who gets affected most, and it's probably not um, mortgage belt really that gets affected most, it's probably um, peninsula property in Melbourne, peninsula property. If you go down to Sorrento or, or Blegary. Yeah, the second houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pro- pro- probably down there has to be off 30%. It has to be, maybe 35%. Or not trading. Or not trading. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so there's probably a couple right of distressed people that need to sell. They've bought you know, a $2 million house, interest only, at 2%, 40 grand, I can afford that. 6%, can't afford that. Yeah. I now need to sell it. I get yeah. behind. Um, so I think about where you buy it and what does it look like, but am I, am I more likely to buy property now than I was two years ago? Absolutely. I think you're about to see a big run of independent valuations of yeah. all portfolios too. And yeah. if you think, if people want to be opportunistic- End of financial year. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. most are like uh, Excel or whatever you call it, spread, no, desktop. not desktop, sorry, yeah, desktop, desktop, which just means Excel or Google Sheets, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they do a lot of valuations or change a cap rate. Google uh, Maps, yeah. I think it is. Just look from the outside of Google Maps. <laughs> But yep. the big one is uh, if if you want to raise capital to deploy in this environment, as you said, you need to revalue all your assets to make you make sure you're raising capital a fair NTA, which I've seen starting to happen. So yeah. you could see some revaluations down at the same time more capital comes in to buy cheaper properties. Mm-hmm. So 30 June is usually a big period for revaluing unlisted assets. Well, get, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of these uh, big property funds will do independent vows once a year and they do their own once a quarter or once every six yep. months. Right? That's about right. Yep. Yeah. Not saying that they don't do a good job of it, but the independent vows may have to be realistic for once in a long time. Sure. I mean, there's there's conflicts in everything, right? Yeah, so there's huge conflicts in that conflicted. conversation, right? So if you're employing me to be your valuer, then I want you, yeah, you're going to want to come I, again. I, yeah, so I want to be your value for the next ten yeah. years. So uh, you, you can see in the last eighteen months, there's been a bit of a flip in terms of valuation techniques. So historically, it would have been on a cap rate. You know, cap rate slow. This is what we value it. Everyone's going, oh, we can't use cap rates anymore. We've got to use mm. something else. So we've got to have comparison sales. It's all about comparison. Nothing selling, so I can't value the asset down. And then the industry gets squeezed to the point. Mm where because of these liquid property funds, you can argue that you shouldn't try to invest into a liquid property fund. Um, the liquid property funds remain nameless, but they've had big redemptions. So now they have to sell physical assets. Yeah. Now, 
you're selling physical assets in a, into a market where there's very few buyers. So there's going to be some brave groups that set up opportunistic property funds or buy more property if they're going to do really, really well. Mm. I'm sure family offices are keen, pension funds are keen. Yeah. Um, We're looking for places, right? Sure, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. so we, were, we were comfortable holding a bit more cash for clients this quarter as well. Mm. Okay, so questions for Jamie. Uh, maybe I go, you go, Drew. NVIDIA sells something to do with AI, mate. Um, <laughs> higher or lower in 12 months? And no I've been idea. higher, he's been lower, so you can just copy me. I have no idea. Did you say higher? Yeah. Uh, it I only has to be a cent higher. So. Here's, here's the problem with NVIDIA is similar to what I said before. Every time you try to value NVIDIA, yeah. they go, you value everything. <laughs> it's a present value and go, oh, it's, it's overvalued. They reinvent themselves like that. Yeah. No one saw AI mm. and you won't see the next thing. So NVIDIA is a leader in, a, in chip market and essentially you need chips within your portfolio. So NVIDIA, I would say it's going to be higher. Okay. Now, a question from Andrew Derrimuth, which is... The resident economist. <laughs> Will interest rates fall this year? This is one year, so I get an invite back. This year or within 12 months? Uh, Does he get an extra 12 year. months? He gets an extra 12 months. He gets an extra, but there's less meetings next year because of the right, change in Okay, rates will fall sometime next year. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about that is the, the size of the fall because if you have a look at the history of rates falling after increasing mm. it's actually the first move is 75 basis points so it's actually quite huge something <laughs> something happens something happens yeah. right so it's kind of build up pressure build up pressure pressure Snap. pressure yeah. release so yeah. um it'll be interesting what they do this time that's yeah. why it's good the rates are so high that there is room to do that yeah and we know they will because yeah. every crisis we've had they've cut rates more and more aggressively and more and more quickly. Well, they have but, to. They get the mortgage belt. They have to get them spending. But we talk about the wrong thing, don't we? We talk about higher rates are bad, but Drew and I represent a couple hundred investors. So now they can get 5.5% in a term deposit basically risk-free. I mean, that's fabulous, right? Yeah. If you're a saving, well, there's a question about compound investing, compound rates in a minute. Um, yeah. But, you know, to compound fixed income, you've got to get an interest rate. Yeah. So it's hard yeah. to compound at zero. You've got retiree portfolios. <laughs> they get a lot of these conservative assets, right? And then- that's this is money for jam, yeah, right. Okay, so Drew gave me a hypothetical last week, which I'm not very good at. Uh, he gave me the sector returns. I think that was the quarterly returns of all the sectors in Australia, like gig sectors, and then the 12 month returns. And this is where we said that um, IT was a fantastically performing sector, materials, utilities, uh, communications, and he said which ones. Which sector do you think will perform best over the next 12 months? I said property and- I said healthcare. Yeah. With some empirical data that says over the last 35 years, healthcare always outperformed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's not a- I'm a numbers guy. It's not a sector. So can I answer off this or- Sure. You're going to go small caps? I'll go smalls. Yeah. That's what I said the week before. That's but why I took small caps off the list because yeah. you both say smalls all the time. <laughs> so you just deleted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'd probably go Drew and say REITs kind of make sense that they're leveraged. Given everything we're just talking been, about. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say REITs. Okay, last question for you. Um, <laughs> it's like the dogs at Dow though, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah, they take yeah, the worst yeah. performing yeah. one. And uh, true or false? Financial planners are proxies for God. Sure, I'll go with that. Group <laughs> operations directors or God, actually? <laughs> Take it however you want, obviously. Um, 
Okay, so questions from the audience. Remember that you can send your question in via the show notes. Instead of picking the favorite question and name when we do like the funny ones, uh, this week, everyone who gets their question read out gets a Value Investor program. Please write into us. We are snowed in with emails, but that's okay. We're celebrating our thousandth question, which was a while ago. I don't know when because of the spreadsheet, but it was a little while ago. Um, just remember that any of the questions that we do answer, we don't know your personal circumstances, even if you dump a huge question on us. Um, we just simply don't know. So uh, it's always important to speak to a financial planner like, say, Drew on my left here or Jamie on my right at Waddle Partners. You will find a link in the show notes for financial planning. You can click that and fill in the form and get in contact with the Waddle Partners team. This first question is very, very long. You're going to shorten that, right? All I noticed was credit to you. There's a lot in there. Um, what's the question, Drew? Oh, the summary is right at the bottom here, I think, which is uh, we talked about, I think someone's trying to get their children involved which we talked about. Buy, hold, sell, bribing their own kids. <laughs> that was an easy one to answer. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's something we talked about the Australian Shareholders Association. I think we did it yesterday mm. on the webinar as well, which is this engaging children, improving financial literacy and passing passing knowledge to the next generation. So this was talking about, can you bribe your kids to read The Barefoot Investor or other books? Have mm. you got book recommendations uh, in the form of investments so how do you engage the next generation of children we spoke about this at ASA in sydney it's a pretty common topic particularly for parents that have uh, even adult kids to be honest not just younger kids but adult sure. kids. um we talked about why it was important but we didn't say how to do it how to do it right? <laughs> yeah so do you guys have any strategies i've got one i, I kind of always go to which is if you're trying to get the next generation yeah bribery i mean buy sell hold bribing children i think we'd all agree it's a it's a bar. It works, yeah, it works. Right. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yep. to the right level. Just make sure it's not all sugar and that sort of thing. Oh, um, shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a milkshake. There's always a cupcake. There's always something, a cookie. Um, I mean, the the one thing for me is like, fair. You know, we're not going to get a 14 year old listening to a to a podcast, or it's very difficult to find books that are tilted towards them. So if you want to get oh, them my involved, son listens to Owen. That's all. Does yeah. Owen really? said this. Owen said this. Does he really? Yep. You should us that. Shout yeah. out. No, doesn't listen to Drew or Andrew. No. 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 He knows you. <laughs> <laughs> Get Drew off it. Uh, I mean, the simple answer for this is me is find something they can engage with. If you've got a 14 year old, I'm guessing they're involved in gaming or, yeah. you know, or, yep. or something of, of that nature. And, you know, how do you, one, bribe them into reading the book, Barefoot? I've read Barefoot. I think it's a nice entry level. Yep. It doesn't have all the answers, but it, it makes you engage with your money and, and get involved with your money. There's a few others. I actually started thinking about it before and I found it's difficult to find yep. which ones I'd read in the past um, and engage them with something that is relevant to them. Maybe they're using ChatGPT. So can you find a way to buy some Microsoft with the $500 you're bribing them with? Mm. How, do you, how do you get them interested to go... Listen sure. to Satya Nadella's presentation. How do you, it has to be relatable and it has to be mm. something they can engage with, at least on mm. YouTube. And It's such a hard thing, isn't it? Because there are different developmental cycles yeah. from zero to 18. So you've got to know at what point is what appropriate. Yeah. Like obviously if they're under 10, they're probably not going to be interested in investing because the concept's a bit... Exactly. So the, yeah, the concept of investing is hard to teach children, but the concept of business is easier yeah. so yeah. you yeah. think about how yeah. that was taught it was taught at the lemon lemonade stand you know yeah, yeah. Get, get the lemons off the tree out the back squeeze them add some them sugar stand yeah. sell you got money please put some sugar the in garage it. sale this is all like Gar bluey if you're yeah, yeah, watching right. yeah, yeah. bluey quotes. i don't watch bluey <laughs> <laughs> but um Drew's friday night <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if you can make your children think commercially that yeah. feeds 
into this kind of concept of understanding about investment. So <clears throat> what are the two things that I want my children to think about? What career you're going to choose and why? And then secondly, do you have a commercial mindset? Mm. Now that might be my mindset. Mindset's all about commercial mindset. Yep. And that then leads into, okay, if I understand how a lemon stand works, I pick these lemons off the back and I make X amount of money, then I can apply it to a company, then I can apply it to a compound interest is probably the next thing you learn. So, you know, you need to, as Drew was saying, you need to find something that is really practical, that the, 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 the child is learning, but they don't realize they're learning. Yeah, that whole idea of the kinetic learning too, like a lot of kids are better at learning through doing. Yep. So that that idea is really appealing to me. And I think, I feel like the whole, if you have a lemon tree, you've got a competitive advantage at teaching <laughs> kids about how to do that. Mm. Um, but I would, I think that's really important because I think that's the easier thing for kids to understand is something goes in, something comes out. Mm. And if you do that thing, that repeatable process, because it also fosters problem solving. Some kids, however, are ready to learn about money and investing. Like my sister came to me and asked about the Barefoot book. I didn't put that yep. on her. Uh, and so for me, and she was the one who was pushing me to do a Perler account for yep. kids. Uh, and th she's the one who wants to do that. But what we did is we did a game. She's tw She was 12 years old when we did this. Is I printed off, I don't know if I've told you this, Drew, but I printed off, I think it was about five or six companies, like um, a little bit of paper and just put the, they were almost like cards on the table. And I explained what each company does. It was Nike. There was, I think, Roblox. Lululemon. Yeah, maybe not Lululemon for her, but um, there were those types of businesses. I think Apple was there. These types of businesses, every one of them she could recognize. Yeah. And I said, which one of these do you use? I think Wes Farmers was there because I said Bunnings and Officeworks. Yeah. I just did do some Australia. And I said to her, okay, now let's play a game. We will put a fake $1,000 into the investment that you choose and I'll choose one. So we've made it a bit of competitiveness. And I said, no matter what happens, at the end of one year, um, you'll get $1,000 in whatever investment you chose. But I said, if you win, you get both. The, the, so you basically oh, yeah, get $2,000. Sure. But I said, there's one requirement. I said, every three months, you just have to tell me what the share price is. And she's in that process right now. Hmm. So it's like I tried to foster the competitive side. She's not that competitive, but maybe some kids are, while also having the brands that are relevant. So that's how I did it. Um, and it seems to have worked. But she came to me for that. Um, yep. I've got mates that try and do the savings jars, you know, the three jars and stuff, which in this case, some of the kids are in single digits, which are probably better. My kids are already paying for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's actually a really good thing. I don't know too. where it comes from. Well, it just well, taps like, everything. Oh, like not <laughs> for you. <laughs> like not for you, you mean? Uh, you pay, oh, not for other people. For me, pay yeah, some yeah. my coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah, that's perfect, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's. The understanding is coming from, from somewhere. Yeah. And that teaches them, like, um, when you're younger, so like 15, 16 year olds, they might be getting their L plates. A lot of parents, you know, there's this concept of helicopter parents, but there's this new one of lawnmower parents. Have yeah. you guys come across this? No. When you make them mow the lawn. You, <laughs> not quite. You actually. You mow the lawn for them, meaning that you give them like everything. So you're like the helicopter, you're there, you're present. But not only that, you also make it so they can never fail. Yeah. And personally, my this is very philosophical, <laughs> but my view is that um, taking risk and failing is important, particularly mm. in business and investing. So uh, my view here is that like this is probably something to be avoided. And one way you can teach them to overcome some of those fears mm. and take risks is like, okay, you've got to go in when you're a youngster, you've got to go in and pick up the fish and chips and you've got to hand the money and you've got to get the money back and make sure it's the correct change. Sure. 
you know, and it's just teaching them to break that barrier. Yep. Um, that's my uh, goal. Yeah, I mean, on the same, it all doesn't need to be positive in terms of educating your children. So yeah. you can do practical elements that is set up for failure. You yeah. know, <laughs> pick a stock that yeah. you'll get the money what's left. They pick the riskiest. It falls by 80%. So, yep. Yep. yeah, totally agree. Um, so that was from Toby Larone. Um and then the next one was from Bankrupt Investor. We don't need to read this one out, but it was like, I have a thousand questions, but I'm trying to buy tickets. Uh, add my tickets to the cart. Can't find the cart. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Google. Yeah. Bloody, um, it isn't my, my portfolio performance isn't going well either. They say, oh, there's a lot going on in there, Bankrupt Investor. Yeah. So when you go to Rask Education, you can just click add tickets to cart. And then in the top right hand corner, it says view cart. Go to cart. It's a bit confusing, I admit. It's in a weird green color. Drew, where do you want to jump to? Uh, do we want to go money hungry, which is a bit of a uh, credit to you on one of your ROIC? Oh, okay. So, friend of the show, Luke Larity, have actually corrected me on. Well, he didn't correct me on this. He one up me on this. So, money hungry writes in and says, "Hi, and thanks for writing this wonderful article." And we'll put the link in the show notes. It was about the the ASX's best companies ranked by return on invested capital. A return on invested capital, if you don't know what that means, it's basically like the profitability of a company. Um, and you want to have companies with high ROIC, ROIC maybe, because what it effectively means is the company is returning um, from its investments that it's making within its business. It's, uh, it's returning uh, a high level. And there was a, an, I crunched some numbers on this. And what I found of the top performing companies in Australia there was a correlation of 0.56, so a positive correlation between high ROIC and stock price performance. High and increasing or just high, historically high? Just high historically. So meaning that if you have a company that has high internal rates of return, over time it will tend to do better than those that don't. It's not a perfect explainer because 0.56 isn't very strong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, So it was just bundled with about five other things. But then Luke, who had access to facts, that did one up me, and he said the best measure is actually over five years, I think he said. So rolling five-year periods, and it's an even stronger indicator of performance. That makes sense, right? Yeah. 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 And so what we're looking for when we look for companies here is um, basically a strong correlation between businesses of quality uh, they tend to do better over time. So this is kind of um, better than dividends, for example, because exactly. if they're yeah. making free cash flow, they can reinvest it. Exactly, because because the dividends only capture one element sure. of the of uh, I guess the That's quality. More relevant to a, like a Microsoft and some of the biggest companies. Oh yeah, in the world yeah that are reinvesting they would always yeah. be at the top of that chart, yeah. right? So that's that's the explainer there. There will be a link in the show notes to that full article. So, lady on a mission says, "Hey fellas, I've been learning about compound interest and long-term investing, but also understand you must diversify. How do you do both? So, how do you get the compound interest and the long-term investing, but with diversification? If I want to take the most advantage of compound interest, don't I just run the risk of not diversifying? See you in Brizzy. Who wants to answer that one? I think diversification is key to the getting the benefits of compounding. And this is something we oh, talk about. But, but you're the changing the question there. You're, you're changing <laughs> the question from compound interest to compounding, right? Didn't we talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> just answer whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> like a politician. <laughs> What's the question you Keep going. Sorry, want to sorry, answer? Just ignore that. Sorry, Drew. Cue Drew. Well, it depends which, which context you take it from. Compound interest is kind of, you're referring to like compound interest on a, on a term deposit or yeah, a sure. savings account and you're letting it go in and in. I viewed this from the context of compounding returns within okay. the portfolio. Yeah. 
um, which have different answers. But if you think about how do you get the benefit of compounding in a portfolio, it's by investing over the long term. Mm. And you put it as simply as possible. How do you make sure you're not worried enough to be selling in and out of market over a period of time? And that's by having a highly diversified portfolio and sources of revenue and income and returns. So I see them as going hand in hand because we know during periods of volatility, we get phone calls about people wanting to sell mm-hmm. down. But if you're able to you know, hold long duration bonds like you were talking about, that, that helps you weather that storm, you're less likely to sell and less likely to give That's up right. on that compounding. Yeah, it's kind of like rotating because this is a, the challenge, right, Jamie? When people are new to building portfolios, they think everyone that says you need to be concentrated, you need to have conviction, you know, these types of phrases that we use. Sure. But then they say diversify. So people yeah. are like, well, how do I do those two things? Yeah, okay, got it. I think the um, the power of compounding is, especially compounding interest or dividends, is that you actively are making investment decisions. So we see, I see people come in all the time and they go, oh, I had an investment portfolio, it's not doing very well. Mm. And then they'll have 25% of cash. Well, how did you get cash? Well, we just got to the point that we weren't sure on what to invest in. All the ETFs that were flogged to us last year are down and that's their biggest issue, right? So they haven't got a long-term strategy. They're not reinvesting their cash. And that's why you see so many wealthy clients that come in here. They've just had a, and I, I don't fundamentally believe in it, but it works really well as a dividend reinvestment plan because they're actively making decisions on their distribution. They're getting the power of compounding because yeah. it's automatically happening. They're staying invested. Yep. Yep. So, you're, you both you basically just agreed with Drew then. With, <laughs> no, but, no, 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 no. But, but to round out this question, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, I think it's you think like this is the whole point of building a portfolio, like with Waddle clients, right? Is like we you said before when yeah when bonds fall, you rebalance and then you're prepared for whatever comes next, and then maybe a different asset class rises, and then you can trim and then you redeploy. Absolutely. The golden rules are basically all built around this concept of how do you stay invested over multiple cycles and periods of volatility, and that's how you get the benefit of compounding. Speaking of the greatest uh, investment (laughs) idea of all time, thanks for nothing. And um, the the next question and name is Fang, (laughs) the ticker symbol, uh, thank you very much, is Fang KS for nothing, (laughs) says, bought some Fang in June after you piqued my interest. Like the idea, not a, we did not recommend that. I uh, like the idea of exposure to U.S. technology. Why did the dividend tap turn off the moment I got on board? What does LNAs mean? Or oh, LNAS? LNAS. I don't know what that's in there for. Long, long oh, Nasdaq. I Okay. So why did the dividend tap turn off the moment they got involved with Fang? No idea, but. I can't answer that. This is just the nature of the structure of ETFs. So an ETF is just a wrapper or a trust structure, which means the income you get from it is a combination of dividends and capital gains. Oh, are they referring to... Why did the distribution stop, essentially? Oh, yeah. So right, there's okay. one, number gotcha. one, the stocks gotcha. you're investing into here, the best yield you might get is from Microsoft and it's probably 2%. Yeah. So you might get a small amount of income sure. from there. Do they pay monthly? Bang, pay, pay. Usually no. quarterly. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's bang, so... and. As most people don't realize that when you're in an ETF, a lot of the distribution or the income you get is actually realized capital gains from throughout the year. And in this case, the first half of the financial year was incredibly bad for technology. Mm. The second half was incredibly good. So if that portfolio was turning over in the first half, it would have realized losses. Even if it was turning over in the second half, it would have realized Mm. gains. Share price might have gone up, but the distributable 
gains were zero. So you're saying what is called as a dividend might have been dividend exactly. because it's realised capital gain. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the confusing part. That's the short part. version of <laughs> Everyone, a long story. There's the two, things, the two things that people don't understand with ETFs and probably just managed, managed funds, funds in general is that one is the turnover inside a portfolio and the second thing is the tax or the distribution that's on the tax as well. Uh, sorry, the, ta- the tax that's on the distribution, meaning sometimes it's capital, sometimes it's short-term, long-term, foreign income. Sure. Yeah. Um, and But I think in summary, FANG is probably not an investment that people make for income. Uh, look past that yield and actually understand what is the income component. Um, the golden rule at Wattle Partners, Jamie, fast growth in- equals total return. Correct. Yeah. So, so this is all about the G. Yeah. Yeah. All and about the G. One of the things in tech stocks that we think, think about stocks in general mm. if drew and i are having a beer together in 30 years time and owen you can come along you're okay. probably still working though we're retired <laughs> um, and uh you said oh that worked i own that stock it worked you can nearly start picking those stocks now you can go do i think microsoft's going to be stronger in 30 years time i'm for sure it's yep. going to be something you want to invest into it. So if you start kind of thinking about it in reverse versus forward, and I find it easier to make strategic decisions mm-hmm. and then also stock decisions versus do we think you know it's going to go up or down? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the next one is a very long question. It comes from Crystal Balls. It says, gents, I am investing mainly via my SMSF. To help me sleep at night, rather than attempt to time the market, I am keen to introduce greater diversification into my portfolio. They've added a few fixed income ETFs um, and I think a few listed vehicles there as well. Um, I'm on the lookout for further uncorrelated assets to add to the mix and I'm open to suggestions. In my reading, I've come across managed futures as a possibility with potential to provide uh, or un or even negative uh, correlation to other asset classes as well as quote-unquote crisis alpha. Mm. Um, performance in 2022, for instance, was stellar. There is an ever-increasing number of ETF options in this space in the US, but not so much here in Oz with managed funds such as PIMCO Trends or AQR among the very few. Are these worthy of consideration or am I falling for marketing hype and recency bias? Gents, please look into your crystal balls and tell me what the managed futures <laughs> Holds. So this is quite a uh, technical question for people that aren't familiar with managed futures and those types of portfolios. Um, so we might lose a couple of people for a few minutes. That's okay though. Um, and also just important to remember, especially in an SMSF, you get advice, which I think is what one of these guys might say in just a moment. Jamie? Yeah, so I think a good place to start is how do you, what are the building blocks within your portfolio? Mm. And <clears throat> you're, you're down in this is a long way from building blocks. Yep. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> you're down into alts, you're into liquid alts, and now you're starting to think about what is the combination of liquid alts that you're going to put together yeah. to to buy. Yeah. Um, this is it. Yeah. Pimco is a stellar fund, and so is AQR. They're both really good funds for super s- reputation, sophisticated, big pools of money, and it as an alternative will a hedge in a portfolio. Some years they do incredibly well. Yep. So trend following, apart from the last 12 months, has been a horrible place to be yep. Yep. for five or six Since years. Since the GFC. Five or six years before, yep. that's right. So the concept of trend following didn't work. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be included in a portfolio, but it's essentially a portfolio mm. hedge 
So while everything else was doing well, it was doing poor. Guess what? Everything was doing poor in the last 12 months and it did well. Yep. So the question is probably not just, and I think um, it's it's a bigger question for crystal balls to think about not what is <laughs> <laughs> not what is holding, but how much of it is holding, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that's that, right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, they try and slip in a few cheeky ones. Yeah. So I don't know what this one was trying to say. Anyway, um, so you know, both are good ideas. Um, you are trying to diversify your portfolio with alternatives, which are, and you're trying to look for listed solutions. Yeah. A lot of the solutions that are mm. truly diversifying for portfolios aren't available on the ASX. Yeah, and the reason why is because typically illiquid, and you know, to be on the ASX, you need to be liquid. Yeah, so. there's a lot of rules around that. And SMSF, I will add before I throw to Drew here, I will add one extra thing: get advice. Like that was my, what mine was going to be. It's like yeah, SMSF to go straight down and manage futures. So you're yep. <clears throat> picking what's available or what you can see. Whereas we, our, our partnership with Atchison is basically they will run a massive amount of risk and feasible or analyses, analyses around how these investments would complement with each other yep. and how they'd react in different models, environments. Yeah, factor analysis. Yep. And then how much do you put in trends when you've got these other types of alternatives in your portfolio? So there is a lot of particularly advisors have platforms, right? So in this instance, we most retail or direct investors have one platform, the ASX, yeah. but advisors have this entire other pool, which includes like wholesale funds, um, which are out of touch, like from most uh, individual investors. So there's probably I don't know how many, but like CTAs and managed futures, there would have to be oh, fifty. Yeah. I'd have to say fifty-ish. Yeah. yeah. So like definitely get advice on something like that because if yeah, just the portfolio composition is just really important for super. Okay. So one, one of the things that we've noticed too is that mm. <clears throat> to actually add to diversification within your portfolio, you actually want products that have uh, really interesting um, correlations but that have volatility. Yeah. And what the industry has done is create these products for mum and dad investors and essentially they've killed the benefit of diversification by diversifying them so much internally yeah. they've given you like 5% and no vol. Well, that's a term deposit. You have to like have vol buy a term to get deposit, returns. Right? Yeah. So then you have to have vol. So something that's going up or down 20 or 30% every year to get the real portfolio yeah, benefit of it but they're not really available to the retail investor. Even to the retail advisor, yeah. you get these kind of compliments products which are all designed around low vol and some type of return. Yeah. Okay, so we've got time for two more questions. One here from Dara Myth. Dara hyphen Myth question mark. Hi, general financial advice bros. That's very good to remind us. Uh, and people's champion, Dr. Andrew Deramuth Esquire. I have a question for the Dr. Esquire. If instead of becoming an economist extraordinaire in your younger days, you became a Quote, heavy blue collar worker, end quote, e.g. Have you seen these hands? His hands. <laughs> no calluses. E.g. Tyler, Bricky, etc. Would you maybe look at investing in high growth in super and more income slash growth outside of super so you can substitute your work days when you're older as working five days a week at 60 might be a bit much on the knees. You guys are rad. Keep up the good fight. <laughs> Rad. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I haven't heard that for a while. That's uh, a great question, though. It is and a good question. And it's a big part People's, of what, yeah. Yeah, now you go. Yeah. What a good financial advisor 
should do, which is work out what invest, like what are your objectives? Yeah. Do you want to retire early? How do you want to retire? And and where are the best homes for the various assets or sources of income you're going to produce? It doesn't have to be shares and bonds. It could be property as well. Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is your, your longer term growth, potentially higher taxed assets you're putting into a lower tax environment yeah. and you want to generate a passive income from a portion of your portfolio. So naturally, if you can't access your super until you're 65 or 60, uh, you want some assets separate to that. There will always be other considerations like a, the ability to stream that income or if you've got a high taxable income, you don't want all that income in your own name. But it's ba- a, you know, good advice should balance each of those objectives sure. as much as yeah. they can. Yeah. Jamie? I think that people are generally too conservative with their superannuation given most have a 30-year time horizon. Yeah. So then – you know, kind of load up on your risk assets in superannuation and let time do its thing. Mm. Um, you need to think about how you get out of them. But also now, I mean, when you retire at 60s, life expectancy is so long, you've got another 30 years as well, yeah. right? So you're essentially a 60-year long-term investor. Yeah. We had actuary on the show not so long ago who actually talked about it. Just mm. in super long. A lot of people probably just aren't taking the risk because we're taught not to. Um, but yeah, that's um, a great question because a lot of people, blue collar, your body, um, your, your physical like body is kind of falling away um, and you can't re- rely on that physical capital anymore. So you have to use your intellectual or your financial capital to keep growing your wealth uh, and transitioning for that is really important. Okay, Drew, I feel like you should pick the last, last question. I should. I mean, we had an interview with uh, GQG. So oh, yes. Global Equity yeah. Manager yeah. this morning. Uh, so I thought maybe this one from Watch and Sachin. Okay. That's a reference to Sachin to Tendulkar maybe. I'm not sure. Okay. Relating to India. Uh, and I'll pose this one to Jamie, which is what's the best way to get exposure to India? NDIA or INDA, which I think is the beta shares and the Global X yeah. uh, ETFs or something broader like an Asia EM markets ETF or fund. And what would this look like in a core versus satellite approach? So maybe it's a good yeah. reflection on building global equity yeah sure yeah. so um it's a good question <laughs> i think that in markets uh like india you need to think about being active versus passive um yep. i think you first start about around the building blocks of your global equity so uh, as a rule of thumb, Drew and I think about building portfolios and how you would outperform the MSCI over a longer period of time. And our tilts typically, historically, it's been tech, less tech now because it's inbuilt in, into indices. But essentially, it's a, a market weighting and then a region weighting. And our region as a firm happens to be Asia over uh, the US or Europe. And, it, and it's actually over EM. So we don't think you get that much extra by doing EM over Asia. Yep. And then it's a combination of finding a, an active fund manager that's giving you something substantially different than the index. Yep. Who is that um, mm. at the moment? Uh, we use uh, a couple of managers. Um, Here's and, a question. Yeah. Do you look for – when you look at the portfolios of these fundies, are you looking for – Fundies that have 40 to 60 stocks, are you looking for more concentration than that? Is there a rule that you have around that? Yeah, I, I would be not – it wouldn't be a concentrated play. Yeah. And it would be the fund manager would have real local knowledge. Having a bias, I have biases, unfortunately. But, you know, <laughs> I think Asia and I think typically 
I prefer not always just select, but I would prefer female Asian managers that are that are specifically have got specific knowledge around Asia. Yep. Asia is a really complicated place, right? It's not like US, US or US or or Europe. It's kind of you know nine different regions, different cultures, different views. Yep. As a as a group, we know that the demographics is phenomenal for growth over the next 30 yeah. years, you know, uh, and India is a play of that. Um, who would we recommend um, in that? There's a, there's a couple of groups um, and they're typically funds, not ETFs, Drew. Is, yeah. yeah. So you can't get them on an ETF. Uh, so I would start, I think you have to start with an overweighting to Asia as um to start with and then think about where India fits. Again, it's a very, in portfolio construction, probably people managing $3 billion is thinking about you know, mm. how how do they get specific India exposure. One of the things I've seen is the explosion of ETFs um, and you can buy everything, but I, I think probably 60 or 70% of what you can buy in ETFs, in my view, aren't suitable to a lot of long-term long-term DIY investors. The risk is so specific. And if you are using some of these ETFs, you probably need 80. And we're yet to see a properly constructed ETF portfolio come from a client and go, hey, we're doing this. What do you think? And it being properly constructed. So, um, Drew, do you have further comments? No, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a beautiful, well, oh, beautiful question. Wow! <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought it was. It's you a great guys. question because it is an incredibly complicated part of the market, yeah. and it is an area where you can benefit from active management, but it is an area you can go wrong completely as well. Yeah, there's the Femex ETF, the Fidelity Emerging Markets Fund. It's got about 500 mil yep. under management unlisted. Fidelity. Um, Fidelity. For, what did I say? Fidelity. Fidelity. And what is it? Fidelity. Fidelity. Yeah. Okay, you better get that right before I go on. I mean, they're, they're excellent Asian managers, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And your man's really good and mm. there's a there's a group of them. But um, It's where that, like the pure fundamental research businesses, like where they all say that, but the firms yeah. that actually back that up with yeah, proper, proper research. On ground, understand yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that portfolio that I'm referencing actually has a co-portfolio mm. thing, which I don't really like to see all the time. To be honest, co-portfolio managers, but uh, different experience, different parts of the world as well. If you, if you are, like, if you are, in, you mentioned GQG, right? So their main fund, uh, it looks to the whole world and sees they can invest in anywhere. So you will see if there is an absolute opportunity in India, then the big diversified funds will go overweight India. Yeah. So you know, it depends how you're building your portfolio. If you've got sector specific, it's your call. If you're diversifying to really large managers, well, just any manager that can choose any region, they're going to make your sector bets for you. You're not going to make the sector bets. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So uh, you can get in contact with Jamie or Drew or the team at Warlong Partners. Um, they'll be actually in New Zealand around about the same time we'll be in Perth for the roadshow. So we're going to miss these two gents there, but we will see Drew in Adelaide. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets for, by the time this comes out, this week's Adelaide show, there are about five left, so I probably shouldn't say that, but there is a couple left. So Sorry, left now. Yeah, there's <laughs> probably none left. Um, but re- 
Renato and Fatuma. Uh, Fatuma will be appearing from Waddle Partners in Perth. So you'll be able to ask your questions live to the financial planners in the room. Heaps of experience between those two. Yeah, great. Um, great advisors. Yeah. So come along and say good day. Uh, you'll find a link in the show notes to get in touch with Waddle Partners. I would say that um, there was a winner for this week's best question and name, but they've all got it. So I'll just read them out, the people that made the shortlist. The bankrupt investor... Jay Fly, watching Sachin, April, going to Morgan's household for a buffet with Warren, sucker for the NASDAQ and the title, financially savvy Barbie, great show, franking Stein's money, Derrimuth, crystal balls, thanks for nothing, lady on a mission, money hungry, uh, bankrupt investor, and Toby Larone. Uh, send us oh, an email. Larone. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. got that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, man. That was at the start of the show. <laughs> no, go for it. So one thing that we've got to do, the final piece, the send-off into the distance from uh, Andrew Jeremoth. We're going to get a pushback on these dad jokes too. Yeah, okay. They're good. The worse they are, the better they are. Exactly. So here's, a, here's something from Dad Says Jokes. I told my son to go find out what nada means in English, but he came back with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, mate. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you can rate Drew's uh, quality of that uh, that joke. Uh, just let us know. Person, Send an email directly like to Drew. Uh, three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gents, that's been heaps of fun. Jamie, mate, I hope we see more of you on the show. Yeah, no um, loved thanks it. So me. thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. And um, no Drew, problem. as always, thanks, mate. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.